Let's pray together. Father, um, Lord, that is our prayer, and it's my prayer today, God. Restore my heart, revive my life, reveal to me what sin remains. Lord, for us in the room today, Lord, would you, would you increasingly restore us to yourself? Would you revive our hearts? Or maybe there's some today, Lord, who have grown distant from you in time. Lord, would you, would you restore the joy of their salvation this morning? Lord, there's those that maybe have never experienced the joy of salvation today. Lord, would you restore them to you, the one who made them and loves them? Lord, for all of us, Lord, would you do a work in our heart and our lives because simply we need it. So now as I open your word and as we look at it and wrap our lives around it, Lord, would you anoint me and give me everything I need to do everything you've asked today. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I really like that song. It's uh, just so you know. Uh, <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, it is good to be with you. Uh, <clears throat> the, we're starting a new series um, for three weeks. Um, didn't know if Easter is on its way. Um, so April 16th, Easter's on its way. It's kind of late this year, so it's kind of like, didn't it already happen? Uh, and so Easter's on its way. Um, every time I see a date, this is what happens in my head. I see a date. I saw the, the Chautauqua camps and the missions days. So I'm like, I want to do that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, we're having a baby. Like, that's what's going on. My wife, if you didn't know that, my wife's having a baby May 14th. And so I go in between, like, whenever I see a date, I begin to panic inside of my heart, right? Like, there's this... <gasps> We're having a baby because it's a big deal for me to have a baby. Um, it's not as hard. It's not. It's a little bit harder on us guys than you think. Um, so just so you know, that lady is like, I'm really getting nervous about the birth. Right? It's just so much, so scary. And so anyway, that's all coming. So I should stop talking. And so um, uh, we're starting this new series, Restored. Um, my life made new. Um, and we're going to go through kind of the next three weeks, this will be um, restored relationally is what we're going to talk about today, that through the gospel, we're restored relationally with God. Um, <clears throat> and then as we begin to live in the gospel, um, next week we'll talk about we are being restored increasingly as we live our lives for Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, that we'll be talking about relationally um, <clears throat> restored forever that we are restored forever in a relationship with God one day when we see him face to face. And so we're going to walk through um, restoration um, <clears throat> restoration over the next, next few weeks, relationally, increasingly, forever. God has saved me. He is saving me. He will save me one day. So we're going to kind of talk through those things as we, as we go through this series um, over, over Easter. Now, last this week, I, um, I don't know if anybody was gone for spring break. We did a small spring break trip. We went to Canada and there was snow. And so um, that was like the opposite of what you're supposed to do on spring break. We went to Niagara Falls, never been there before. And so I was very intrigued. So we got to the horse. Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? Yeah, okay. So we get to Niagara Falls and there's the Horseshoe Falls. And then right up above, there's a, there's a boat that sunk, right? I don't know if you've seen this. There's a boat in 1918. There was the Hasayampa, so I'm going to give you a little history lesson here, okay? 
So there was a tugboat. It had a barge, and the barge cut loose, and it was going to go over the Horseshoe Falls. So there's two guys on it, Gustave and Frank, interesting names. Uh, you'd think that it would be like Gustave and something else, um, but no, it's Frank. And so Gustave and Frank are on the boat, and they said, we got we to gotta sink this thing because we're going to go over the Horseshoe Falls. It's 188 feet down. Um, Annie Taylor is the only person that went over that. She went over it in a barrel. Another dude went over it. He went in over it in a metal barrel, broke both of his kneecaps and his jaw, and then later died when he slipped on an orange peel, just so you know that. Uh, anyway, interesting history of Niagara Falls. And so uh, I spent a lot of time on my phone, just the peculiar nature of all of these things. And so so these guys started ripping the boat apart and the, the barge apart, and they got it apart, and they sunk it right above the falls. It's been there since 1918. This year, next year, it'll be 100 years where it sat right there. And it was an 18-hour rescue to get them out. And so they're, they're shooting like harpoon guns with, with ropes on it, trying to get these guys out. They were dead tired from trying to get across. And so one guy was so tired, he crawled across. I don't know if it was Gustave or Frank, but they were going across, and he's trying to get across. And... He, he had to come back because he didn't think he could make it across. So finally, they, they were saved. They were rescued. Now, now if they would have went over the edge of those falls, it would have been utter, I mean, utter terror, death, imminently for them. And much like Gustave and Frank, right, these two guys that I feel like I know, I think I'm going up there next August. I'm just going to celebrate the 100-year the anniversary of the Niagara Sco. And so, but but... Just as those men needed saved that day, and it was imminent, I can't imagine the terror and fear in them of what was coming their way if they didn't get out. For each of us in this room, there is something much more imminent for each of us. There is a cliff that is coming, and it is the end of our life. And at the end of our life, if we are not redeemed and rescued and covered by the blood of Jesus, it is the most fearful thing that faces any of us in this world. If, there, if our sin has not been remedied, if restoration hasn't occurred in our life, there is something far more imminent than a 188-foot fall off the edge of a waterfall. There, there is an imminent nature that if our sin is not dealt with, we we will not be saved, and the consequences are grave. And so not only do we need saved, but we need restored. And God desires to save us from our, from our sins for the purposes of being his children. Now, I wanna, I'm going to say that a lot today. God wants to save us from our sins for the purposes of being his beloved children. So there's good news in the gospel, and we're going to talk about that today. The good news of the gospel is not only does God want to save me from my sin, but he wants to bring me into his family. The, the good news of the gospel, it just compounds itself. The further and further and further you look into it, it is more unreal of the nature of what God has done. And so today we're going to read in Romans 1, 16 through 23. So if you have a Bible, if you turn there, Romans 1, 16 through 23, it'll be on the screens. It is on the screens. And there's a Bible in the, in the seat back ahead of you. If you don't have one, you can take it with you or follow with us in it today. So Romans 1, 16 through 23 reads, 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. Now, just so you know, we're going to look at this. I'm not done reading yet, but, but when we read this, <clears throat> don't think about other people. Don't think about extreme circumstances. I want you to think about you. Because this word is not for someone else. It's for you and it's for me. And I want you to hear this this morning as though God is directly saying it to you simply because this is his breath and he is saying it to you. So I'm going to read again. He says, For what can be known about God, 19, is plain to them, to you, to me, because God has shown it to them, to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, not just us, everybody. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, for all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In the passage this morning, three things that we'll look at. The first are found in verses 16 and 17. And what we see is that we have been saved by the power of God. So the first thing we see, if you're following in the notes, um, we, we have been saved by the power of God. Um, <clears throat> we've been saved by the power of God. It says, for I am not ashamed, verse 16, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So the first thing that we see is he, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospels. Now, this is a peculiar thing for Paul to say because he, he never really uses this kind of language of, of being ashamed of the gospel. And why would you have to say it like that? I am not ashamed. Why would he not say like he does in, in, in Galatians, only glory in Christ. But in this way, he uses a negative to kind of express, I am not ashamed. What he's saying... <clears throat> What he's saying is, I'm not disgraced by it. I'm not bashful about it. The gospel is good news. And not only do I just kind of say it's good news, it actually is good news to me. Therefore, I'm not going to be bashful by it, about it. I'm not going to be disgraced by it. But I am going to proclaim it, and I am going to say it out of my lips. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. What for salvation? That people legitimately that are sinking, as we sing, sinking deep in sin, that God can pull us up out of it into not, now not just to some, but as it says, to everyone who will believe it. So the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And see, this everyone who believes, now this isn't just like for everybody, right? Only those who believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and turned in faith. Salvation comes through repentance and faith. So the imperative of belief is, this, is simply this, placing our confidence, our full trust in Christ. And so he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, meaning that those who do not believe, those who do not 
misplaced their faith in him, we'll read about that in a minute, says the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. And then it says in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith, placing my trust again, placing my confidence, belief, and faith. These are synonymous in some ways. Believing is placing my confidence. Faith is in the object in which I'm placing my confidence in. And so simply like this, I said this a few weeks ago, that faith... Right, I can have faith in John, right? Like I can, I can have faith in John that he can cook me a really wonderful meal, right? But he might fail me on that because John can't cook, right, Pat? Right? Right? Like I can, I can place my faith, but the object of my faith is what has to come through. And just so you know, when you place your faith in Jesus as the object of your faith, he always comes through. Faith is not about you or me. It's not about the amount of it I can muster up. It is about the object of my faith. And just so you know, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will never fail you, and he will never let you down. And I I hope you hear that. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you've lost a loved one. I don't know if you're going through a personal crisis that no one knows about. I don't know if you lost your job. But I'm just telling you today that you can place your faith in Jesus Christ and he'll get you through. And he'll walk with you through the fire of it all. And he will be your rock and he will be your shelter and he will be in front of you and he will be behind you and he will be on this side of you and he'll be on that side of you. And there's nowhere you can go because if he is the one you're placing faith in, he will care for you. And it may not look perfect and it may not be easy, but he will care for you. And he will walk with you through the trial. So let me tell you, maybe, because really the whole idea of this is we have been saved by the power of God. But let me tell you why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, why I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, see, I was sinking deep in my sin. I, I was sinking. I was without hope. I was blind. I was in darkness, as we sang about this morning. And God reached down, right, I didn't, I didn't, I just turned around to him and God reached down and he pulled Ryan Johnston up and he set my feet upon a rock in which I could not set my feet upon a rock myself. And see, because he has done this for me, I am not ashamed because he is the one who has done this work, who has changed, he has, he has changed my life. You see, this, this gospel of Jesus and God coming in and rescuing us, restoring us, pulling us up out of the mire, pulling us up out of the pit, where whatever it is you want to say, see, this is the, the motive for everything now in my life that I do, I hope. See, the, the gospel that God reached down and pulled me up in my sin and redeemed me and rescued me and saved me, See, this is the gospel that puts gas in my tank, oil in the engine, pep in my step, a smile on my face, a song in my soul, a swagger in my step. It's because Jesus has done a great work in my life. And so if I'm sitting with a taxi driver in Niagara Falls, I want to tell him about what Jesus has done. If If I'm sitting next to my neighbor, I want to tell him, what Jesus has done, because he has done a great work in my life of reaching down and pulling me up. And and Christian, just hear me this morning in this. If, If you're bashful or if you're disgraced by the gospel, maybe you don't know Jesus. Because simply this, if you meet him and if you see him face to face, 
I don't know how you can't have pep in your step. I don't know how you don't put a smile on your face. I don't know how when someone says, how are you doing? You go, oh, I'm okay. I mean, this is the greatest news in the world. You were dead in your sins. I was blind. I could not see. And God opened my eyes. He raised me to life. He gave me new life. He gave me hope of glory. This is, this is fantastic. Yet we walk around gloomy, down, my life stinks. Come on. This is great, great news. And maybe for us today, simply, we just needed to, to get a little pep in our step, a little swagger, right? Because we got it. We got the gospel. We have Jesus. We, we, we won. I'm a child of God. I'm free. See, this gospel, this gospel is what moves us. We have been saved by the power of God. Therefore, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew, the Greek, all. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, Jesus, the object of our faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Then the text transitions. Not only have we been saved by the power of God, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Not only have we been saved by the power of God, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. I need, I need a drink. I'm, I lost my breath up here. So I was reading too much about Niagara Falls. I'm going, got too much in my head. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And so the text continues. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven in the consciences of men and their moral government. The, what it's saying, that, 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 that the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Meaning that in us we know. There is something broken and wrong in this world. Every one of us does. Raise your hand if you lock your doors at night. Well, you don't believe that men are basically good, do you? Right? If people were basically good, I wouldn't lock my doors. But we know inside of us that there are things when we step into them, when we know I shouldn't do this. I'm, I'm stepping across a line here that breaks some sort of moral code deeply inside of me. Yet we cross the line. And what happens over time, and anybody who's honest in this room, who's lived long enough, knows what happens over time. At the end of this text, it says we suppress the truth. And we begin to believe a lie. What I'm doing is not that bad. It's okay. It's cool. I can do this. All the while, we know that we're breaking code deeply embedded inside of us. And what do we experience from that? Guilt, and we experience shame. Guess what Adam and Eve experienced, the first sinners in this world? Guilt and shame. Now, we live in a culture that says, don't feel guilty about anything, don't feel shame for anything. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest gifts God's given you is guilt and shame because it reveals our sin, and it reveals when we have gone against God and when we need to turn back to God. Guilt and shame are not negative things, they're good things, because they lead us to repentance. Repentance is this like really bad word that we use in our culture. Repentance is the most wonderful thing in the whole world, that I can confess and repent to God, and I can be restored and made right with him. 
that repentance is wonderful. So whenever we call you to the altars and say, if you need to repent, don't hear that as just like, oh man, everybody will know that I'm bad. Everybody already knows you're bad. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all good. We're all the same in here. We can repent of our sins and we can say, I've, I've, I've failed. I need revival in my heart. I need restored. I, I, need, I need you to do a work inside of me, God. And if anybody has passed that or grown up past that, then you grew up past something I don't even read in the scriptures. We all need it and we will until we see him face to face. So, so God, God's dealing with unholiness, God's inability to participate with sinfulness, his wrath is going to be poured out upon the sins of man. It says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness, the irreligiousness of us, where we discount God, where we shove him away, where we push him and say, you are not Lord, you are not master, you are not in control, I am. Ungodliness unrighteousness, sin in heart, speech, and behavior. Unrighteousness, the ways in which I have not honored God with my life, in my heart, in my speech, in my behavior. Where I've spoken ill of another, where I've acted in harm against another, where I have acted in behaviors against another. I've sinned against God, and because of that, all of us in this room at one time, if you've not given your, are ungodly and unrighteous people at the core. And again, what do all of these things cause? Shame and guilt. Willful and unwillful sin causes shame and guilt in our heart. Willful, the things that we outright do in rebellion against God because we want our own way. And unwillful, sometimes we're just broken and we do things that we don't even know we're doing out of our selfishness and our pride. And then it says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The obstruction of a God-given conscience. What we say is, I am not going to listen to you. I'm going to suppress the truth. I'm going to suppress these, this shame and this fear and this guilt. I'm going to suppress it. I'm not going to repent. And I'm going to, to continue to go down my own course. Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore, now listen to this, we have, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's only one way out of the wrath of God that is coming, the cliff that we're all headed for. There's only one way through that, and it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Read it again, Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified, justified meaning been made right, being put in proper standing through repentance and faith, I can be placed in proper standing with God, right relationally with him. And how, do, how is this done? Justified by his blood. I need a sacrifice for my sins. I need my sins to be covered by a holy and perfect and blameless blood, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. What this speaks of is kind of, here's two theological words for us this morning, propitiation and expiation. Ready? So say it with me. Propitiation, one, two, three. Propitiation. Okay, one, two, three. Expiation, expiation. Jesus, so propitiation, Jesus' death was a payment for our sin. Right? Jesus' death was a payment for my sin. And these aren't just words we made up, they're biblical words. Expiation, meaning Jesus' death brought the removal of my sin. So 
Propitiation means that, that the penalty for my sin, what I owed God, he paid for it in full on the cross. Expiation, not only did he pay for it all, he removed it. And so now there's no barrier between me and God because not only has my sin been paid for past, present, and future, it's gone. That God sees me now as holy and righteous, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. See, to be restored to God is to be forgiven by God, to be saved from the penalty of my sin and receive the gift of God Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The third thing we see in the text, in a bit of a lengthier section, we have been saved for the purpose of being his children. So we've seen that we've been saved by the power of God. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. And now we have been saved for the purpose of being his children. It says, what can be known about God is plain to them. Just so you know, plain to them and us. God has shown his invisible attributes, his eternal power. Internally, we we know that there's something, a creative work. There's a moral code. There's a way in which we have been caused to live. There's a reason in us when we say, whoa, whoa, that guy murdered somebody. He's bad, right? Because we we have a recognition that there's good and there's evil. There's, there's, There's sin and there's righteousness. There's unrighteous behavior and there's righteous behavior. Never forget there was a lady... um. When I was in school, a, a great preacher from England moved to the U.S. Um, his name was Stephen Olford. And Stephen Olford, his, his wife Heather, I did an interview for her for a paper. And I said, if you could tell me one thing about your husband, what would you tell me? And she goes, oh, he was a holy man. And it was this moment, like, like hair stood up on my arms, like nobody says that about anybody, right? He was a, he was a holy man. And and what she was saying was he loved God more than anything else. He served him with every bit of his life. And there's this thing in us that I think all of us, when we hear those statements, I I hope that there's something in us that says, man, I I, want to be like that. That that maybe one day when my husband or my wife or my children or or my, my, my nephews or my nieces or whoever it is that you have around you in your life, your friends would say, oh, he was a holy, she was a holy person. And I believe the reason that resonates in our hearts is because it was somewhere deeply in us made to be holy people connected with the God that loves us and knows us. His eternal power internally, we see it. His divine nature externally, we see it. We see it through the the majesty of his creation. I mean, literally, there was this Johnston that wasn't even like known in our minds a year and a half ago, and I'll be holding it on May 14th, 15th first second whenever that baby is born right i'll be holding this miraculous creation with one little thing wrong one little thing sober for you and i one little thing the majesty of god's creation not just in in the, the the people in which he made with personalities and with life and with the ability to know god and love god and the ability to love one another and to care for one another and the ability to think and do all the things we do to the beauty and the majesty of of his creation when we gaze upon something and we're struck in what the word would almost be like worship and in awe and wonder we go this is fantastic how did this come to be God's eternal attributes, they're seen in his divine nature. And what it says is we have 
clearly perceived it in the creation of the world, the things that have been made. We are without excuse. And I would say this, take this personally, there is not a person in this room that is without excuse of worshiping God. There's not a person in this room. I don't know about Africa or wherever else. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about is in this room, there is not one person that is without excuse. God has clearly revealed himself to you. The gospel, hopefully, has been clearly proclaimed today. And we are without excuse. We can submit ourselves to our creator or we can run in rebellion from him. And I'm typically not that black and white, but this is pretty black and white. We are without excuse. But then it says, many have decided not to glorify him. They did not honor nor give thanks, became futile in their thinking. Their, Their thinking became worthless and pointless. Their hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they were fools, and they worshiped idols, birds, creatures, animals, created things. They worshiped idols rather than God. The last thing we see is, see, he desires for us to rest as his children rather than to rebel as children of wrath. To live in rebellion as children of wrath. It says at the end in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of God. And this is the key. They exchanged the glory of God. See, the glory of God, how we exchange it is he has something wonderful for us. And we say, no, I'm going to chase after this other thing. The most wonderful truth is not not just that he has saved you, which is the most incredible truth, but, but that he has saved you and he wants you to be his beloved child, to walk intimately with him and to walk closely with him. Now, I don't know even what that says to you, but I know what it says to me. I remember growing up, and I remember growing up, and I grew up on a farm, and I remember my dad laying his head, as he'd come in from lunch, he would lay down on the floor and he'd take a little nap while lunch was being prepared. And he had been up early and working. I remember curling up beside my dad, laying on top of him, sitting on his head. Who knows what we did, right? We're like, my kids do it to me. I don't know if there's, you know, I'm going to just like sound like an infant here for a minute. But I'd give anything to do that again. The comfort and the peace of just being there. And what, what God's saying is, no, you can have that today with me. Because my dad's great. He's here today. Love you, dad. My dad's great. But God is eternal. I can crawl up into his lap. If crisis comes tomorrow in my life, I can curl up just like I did right next to my dad when I was a kid. See, we can have that same, we can have that same thing, not just when we're six, not just when we're 10, but when we're 30 and 40, 20, 18, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 94, I think that's an age in the room. Like we can, whatever place we find ourselves in life, and so we, we must respond See, God sent his son to restore us back to himself, and we can either run or we can be restored. See, today, we are God's children, and we have been saved by the power of God from the penalty of sin. And we are loved and accepted because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. We have no need to do good works to be justified and accepted. Jesus did the work for us. And so today, simply... Two groups maybe in the room that I'll address. 
Christian, the one who has given their life to Jesus, when I talk about the pep in my step, you're like, I know it because I got it in mine. See, maybe, maybe for you, you've, you've turned back to your own works. See, I think many times we do this. We, we believe initially when we come to faith that we're justified, made right only by the blood of Jesus. But then somewhere in the mix of it, we just start trying to work ourselves into his good graces again. And maybe for you, you need to just return and say, Jesus, thank you for saving me and forgive me for trying to do this on my own again. Help me to rest in you. Help me to have my confidence in you, not in myself, not for my glory, not for anything else, but for you. Maybe for you, you've, you've drifted from the overwhelming love of Christ as his child you're not feeling the warmth of his embrace, the, the privilege of just curling up with him in the time of trial. And so for you this morning, maybe you need to turn back to him in the work he has done for you. Turn back to him and just find joy in being his child. And for the person in this room that is resistant to Christ and resistant to spiritual things who might define yourself as irreligious, I'd compel you, beg of you today, to turn in faith to Jesus. Allow the power of the gospel to work in your heart. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Just so you know, no one fully does. And we don't come to Jesus with all the answers, but we come to Jesus in faith. And he brings clarity, and he restores, and he cleanses, and he teaches, and he instructs, and he leads us in the paths of righteousness. And I would just compel you, I, I just say to you today, please, turn to God today. Repent of your sins and turn in faith that you might be saved by the power of the gospel, full work of Jesus, and made his beloved child. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for this wonderful work that our Savior, Jesus, where we thank you what you have done in our lives, where we recognize this, that we were sinking deep in our sin, but you reached down and you pulled us up and you set our feet upon a rock, and because of that, we are free and we are your children and we're able to live in joy and peace. So for the person in this room who's given their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would increase joy, you'd increase peace, that you'd help them to stop trusting in themselves and only trust in you. Lord, for the person in this room who's been drifting, Lord, restore them. Help them to find joy in simply being your child. And for the person who has never given their life to you, Lord, I pray that today you give them the strength to repent to turn from their sin and place their faith, their confidence in you. Lord, that you would, you would save them from the judgment ahead. That you would make them your beloved child today and help them to rest in your peace. So Lord, as we sing, would you move? And help us to deal with whatever you've said today. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you'll stand, we're going to sing. And as we stand, as we sing, these altars are open for you to come and kneel and pray. And I'm here up front if you want to talk. But might we respond, might we do whatever God says as we sing.